begin, just a little bit of word of encouragement. I need to ask for you to just give me a little time. We've stretched a little bit, so I'm going to go as quick as I can, but there's also something I think is really important for us to, to share together. It really has to do with respecting the Son. It comes out of Mark chapter 12, verses 1 through 12, if, if you want to open up your Bible and go there. What I think the overall thing that I would want to start with is that when you start reading about Jesus and you start coming like toward the end of Jesus' earthly ministry, you really realize that there is this big collision happening between something that is new and something that is old. And it really, that, that collision starts at the very beginning of Jesus' ministry and it's at the very end. But when you start getting into the final week, which we are in Mark, you, we're really, there, there are these forces that are colliding. And it's really, it, it climaxes, it's really Jesus and the Sanhedrin, which I'll tell you a little bit more about that. Uh, so Jesus, with the 12 disciples, they're, they're, they're bringing something new and better for everybody on the planet. So the message of Jesus is always pushing us forward. And they're running into the custodians of the old, and those custodians of the old are trying to push back. So the Sanhedrin and the state of Judaism in the day, what they're longing for, man, if we could just go back to the better days, whatever those better days were. For the, I mean, the immediate, if we just get rid of the Romans, if the Romans were not the occupying force in Israel, we'd be in better shape. But then if you just track their history, well, before the Romans were the Greeks. And was, it, was life better for you with the Greeks? And then before that, you were in exile in Babylon. Was life better? For, I mean, so it's like, if you start pushing backward, it's like, what are you really pushing back for? And then you're pushing against something that's better for you. What? That doesn't make any sense. So those forces are, are really at work. New, old, pushing against each other. And we're really kind of at the climax of that struggle. Now the Sanhedrin that Jesus is coming up against is this Jewish council of supreme authority. Which was in Jerusalem. In 86, when Judea was made a Roman province, the Sanhedrin and its president, that's the high priest, were granted almost exclusive control of the internal affairs of the nation of Israel. So what the, what the Romans love to do is, is as long as you maintain what we call the Pax Romana, the peace of Rome, as long as there's no demonstrations on the street, and as long as you're paying the taxes, then you get to be in charge. And so the Sanhedrin was recognized. I mean, it's the, it's the nucleus of power of both religious and political power backed up by Rome. That's who the Sanhedrin is. The members of the Sanhedrin... Uh, Included those that were members of the high priestly families. If you go back and you read your Old Testament ever, there were these priestly families. Well, that lineage continues into the New Testament days. So anybody in those families were in the Sanhedrin. Then you've got the scribes. They were the experts in the law of Moses, the ones that, that studied the Torah, that gave the interpretation. This is what God means by what God is saying. 
And then it included the elders, which were literally elders, but also wealthier elder people. So that comprised, there's 72 members of that Sanhedrin. Now, one thing, just a, kind of a painful thing, is that it is that Sanhedrin that re- rejected Jesus. You can't be, you cannot be the Messiah. And again, it's in this pushback of, of, of again, not looking forward to what God was doing, but looking back to what God did, Jesus didn't fit their idea of what Messiah would look like because they're looking back. (laughs) They're not looking at the present and they're not looking to the future. So they rejected Jesus and they're the ones that actually condemn Jesus to death. They didn't have the authority to kill him, but they could condemn him and say, uh, hey, Rome, we want him executed. And again, because they were the internal power, then Rome was, okay, if that's not going to rock the boat, we'll kill him. So in Jesus' confrontation with him, I, I'm, you know, Jesus had confrontation with the religious powers to be from the get-go. And if you, just, if you kind of think back in our reading of, of Mark, Jesus, he didn't, ever, he didn't really back away from confrontation, but he really managed it well. So that's a really good lesson. You know, you, you know, you don't always have to be the fighter or the fleer. You know, you can learn to manage. And one of the things Jesus did early is whenever he was kind of running into that opposition with that religious stuff, that political religious power, he just left. He said, hey, guys, we, we need to go back across the sea. We, we, or we need to go north. We, just, we need to step out of this. It's not time for this. Let's just step away from it. At other times, like where we are in, in Mark, he shifted gears and be, he became indirect in his communication. He was not directly communicating. He said, hey, I got a story. That story is a parable. And that, that, the parable is a, is, it's a story with a point. It's, it's drawing an illustration, but it's an indirect way of confronting what's going on in the situation. So that's what's happening with Jesus when we go to this parable. It's called the parable of the wicked tenants. So follow along as I read this parable. A man planted a vineyard, put a fence around it, dug a pit for the wine press, built a watchtower, and then he leased that vineyard to tenants and went away to another country. When the season came... He sent a slave to the tenants to collect from them his share of the produce of the vineyard. But they seized that servant, they beat him, and sent him away empty-handed. So again, the owner of the vineyard sent another servant to them. This one they beat over the head and insulted. So finally, the owner of the vineyard sent another, and they killed him. And he, he still sent another and another. And some, some they beat and some they killed. So finally, when there were no other servants to send, the owner of the vineyard said, Well, I'll send my beloved son. And he said, Surely... Surely they will respect him. But the tenants said to one another when they saw the son, 
This is the heir. Come, let's kill him. The inheritance will be ours. So they seized the son, the beloved son. They killed him and threw him out of the vineyard. So then Jesus comes out of that parable and says, What then will the owner of the vineyard do? He will come, he will destroy the tenants, give the vineyard to others. Have you not read this scripture? The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This was the Lord's doing. It's amazing in our eyes. And when the Sanhedrin, the religious leaders, some of them, not all of them, but when they realized that Jesus told this parable against them, they wanted to seize him, arrest him. Earlier, they wanted to kill him, but they feared the crowd. So they left him and they went away. Now, anytime Jesus tells a parable, we are left with uh, interpreting that parable. Obviously, the listeners of this parable that were members of the Sanhedrin, that were high priests and scribes or elders, they interpreted it enough so that they said, Hey, this is about us. So let's just ask some questions. Who, who planted the vineyard? Who's the owner of the vineyard? You can just... Just say it out. God. Yeah. Creator God. That is the owner of the vineyard, planted the vineyard. He prepared the vineyard, got it all ready, and then he leased it. So who are the tenant farmers of his vineyard? Again, put it back into context without saying we are. Israel. And if you want to maybe even get more specific, remember, it's the high priests and the scribes and the, the elders who are the leaders of Israel. So you could even, maybe even say, well, it's maybe more specific. Hey, it's these particular Israelites who were leading Israel at that time. Who are, who are the servants that come? To, to, you know, I mean... If you had a, a rental, a piece of rental property, what would you expect every month from those that were renting your property? Payment. <laughs> now, if you owned a vineyard, you would go back every year once that vineyard was established and you would want what? Hey, I want some grapes. I hear that you've been, you know, this, the wine here is pretty good. So I, I, we, I, we want some wine. You know, what's your, I need my share. That's how, the, that's how a tenant farmer paid for using the land. Okay. So who are these servants? Would, would be prophets. So then again, you're broadening out to, through the history of Israel. I mean, the vineyard is a common, it's a common figure of speech for the nation of Israel. So it's the servants that God sent so that they would pay their due for living in the vineyard. What did Israel do to those prophets? Hey, here's your grapes. Here's your bottle of wine. What, what's the history of Israel? What do they do? I mean, I mean, hey, how about hanging out with some lions? That was, oops, oops, 
And how about being thrown down into a cistern? I mean, the, the history of how this nation, which would be just like us. I mean, they're no different than us. They're people just like us living in rebellion against God. It's just they have a longer history of that. The servants are mistreated. Then who's the beloved son? Jesus. This is Jesus. So then if you keep going, how do the tenants treat the servants? Well, they, they treat them horribly. So how does, this, how does the owner, how does he kind of, gosh, they're not, he's, they're not responding to the servants. So how, how does he kind of decide to send his own son? Surely, now they they've they have they have beaten, they've insulted, and they've even killed servant after servant after servant. But surely, they're going to respect my son. They're going to have regard for my son. Surely, that surely, surely they they're not that shameless. How do they treat the son? Same way they treated the servants, but with a different motive. Hey, he's the heir. So if we can get rid of him, then it belongs to us. So they kill him, throw his body over the fence of the vineyard. Gee. So then that, that, that's, then that kind of the question. What, what will the owner of the vineyard do after the death of his son? You know, we don't have to come up with that answer. I mean, this is what Jesus said. He will come and destroy the tenants and give the vineyard to others. Now let that go through the processor. God will come. The judge of all will come. And he will destroy the tenants. He will destroy. You could make it as specific as the current leadership of the nation of Israel at the time the parable is told. He's going to deal with them. And he's going to give their leadership to others. See, the old leaders... really realize, hey, Jesus is talking about us. Jesus is saying to these high priestly families, to these scribes of the Torah, to these wealthy aristocratic people, older, established, he's saying that God is going to get rid of us. And why? And Jesus just makes it really clear. They do not respect the Son of God. They have no regard. They have no regard for the beloved Son sent from the, from, from the Father. What's, what's behind respect in the, in the Middle East, the Middle Eastern world, it still operates this day. It's, it's really, again, the biblical culture still are there. 
It's an honor-shame culture. We live in a right-wrong culture. So, I mean, we'd read this story and say, well, it's just wrong. It's just wrong that they killed those three. It's just wrong they killed that son. But in the, the culture of the Middle East, it would be, it is shameful. It is shameful that they would kill. It's, it's the shame upon them. And again, within this community, they would, surely, surely they wouldn't bring the shame upon themselves to kill my son. That's, that's the power of what's gone. They don't respect the son. They're shameless in rejecting the son. And that's the second that they reject the Son of God. God, I mean, Jesus is God's cornerstone for building a new house, and it's a new house for both the Jew and others. It's not like Jews aren't being excluded here. Jesus has come along and said, hey, I'm bringing something new, something new that's better for you and better for the world. And I'm going to build a new house, and I'm going to be the cornerstone of that house. And I want you to enter that house. And they reject that. No, we just want to stay in the old house. So they rejected. They rejected that cornerstone. So it just kind of leads to there's this change from old leadership to new leadership. So who are the new leaders? In the new, who's the new leaders? Well, I mean, that's again, you keep broad, you just keep going wide, come a little narrower. In this context, I'll say, who's the new leader? Jesus! <laughs> Jesus! I mean, folks, have you ever wondered why he's called prophet, priest, and king? Hello? <laughs> I mean, he's the final prophet to the nation of Israel. has this long history. And, and did you remember this? One greater than Moses. What? I mean, Moses is the prophet that brought the law. And the law is and the Torah. The first, that's, what, that's what Israel's always rested on that. Still does. But there's one greater than Moses here who has a new law. What? It's a better law. What? Something new and better's come. Prophet, priest. You know the high. No, you, you know why the high priest was so nervous about Jesus? Because he's the new high priest. He's the eternal high priest. A better priest has come, shown up. And what, what about Herod, King Herod? What does King Herod do? When the wise men come along and say, hey, where, where's the king of the Jews born? And Herod's going, what do you mean I am the king of the Jews? What do you mean there's a new king? And what does he do? I mean, he goes to great extent. Kills the babies in Bethlehem. Because this new king, this new priest, this new prophet, he's come. And he's come with something better for everybody. And, you know, the only, thing, the only way I could put it together in my head is the people that have the longest history with God rejected the new priest, the new king, the new prophet. 
And if they can reject him, that means we all can reject him, which we all have. So it just illustrates the rebellion of humanity. It's not, it's not against Israel. It's just it's against our rebellion. So, you know, when I turn the corner and just say, Holy Spirit, help. You know, how do we take this collision of new and old back there? And how, does it, how is it something that you and I are working out in our lives? Because this isn't just a story about the past. You know, I, I would really, I, 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 I think the tension between the new and old remain at odds with one another. I think we still struggle with. Is, is the message we have something that pushes us forward or is it a message that pushes us back to some golden age? I'm going to New Orleans. I'm driving to New Orleans tomorrow. I've only been there a couple of times. One of the best times is going to Bourbon Street with Susan. We're walking down the street and all, all I remember is Susan saying, don't look there. Don't look in there. Don't look there. <laughs> well, I wasn't planning to look there. I'm, I'm a big boy. I know what that sign means. I'm not looking there. So God, it just reminded me that when Katrina happened, there were all kinds of high priestly Christians that just said, God is judging New Orleans with the hurricane, the judgment of God. Uh, that's old. And do you realize that Bourbon Street wasn't affected by Katrina? What was affected by Katrina was the Ninth Ward, which is where the poor live. Last time I read my Bible, God's not against the poor. And it doesn't, it doesn't matter what color the poor are. The poor are always on God's heart. So God's sending judgment against the wicked. Well, folks, we, all saw, we ought to just sign up for that because we're, we're it. What the New Testament is about, mercy triumphs over judgment. Say it with me. Mercy triumphs over judgment. God is not in the business of sending judgments against the world. All the judgment of God fell upon Jesus so that mercy can now triumph over judgment. This is a day not of judgment. This is a day of salvation. You could say it to the wickedest, slimiest person on Bourbon Street. God loves you. God saves you. Because it's the truth. God's not in the business of judging us. He's already judged. And now it's salvation. So you see, that's just one illustration. I could keep going. And I'm going to stop. But it's this people wanting to push back rather than to push forward. So it's, I mean, it just makes, which direction are we going? Are, are we going forward with the kingdom arriving? Are we, are we pushing backward towards some perceived golden age that has never existed? What kind of tenants are we? Now we're crossing over into Stephen's world. Because, yes, it does, it does broaden out. The vineyard broadens out. It's not just about Israel. It's never just about Israel. God's always been interested in the whole globe. So what kind of tenants are we? And do we give the owner of the vineyard what he deserves? 
And what does he deserve? Everything. <laughs> Everything. Here, here I am. Here, here I am, Lord. Everything. Do we receive or reject the beloved son? In what ways do we, do we demonstrate our respect for Jesus? Then finally, y'all, which, which, what house are we building? You know, we, are, we, are we adding on to the old, which has actually just been demolished except for the foundation? Foundations carried over. So there's a new house being built. Jesus cornerstone of that house. Are we, just, are we just trying to pick up the scraps of the old and trying to put that thing together? Or are we moved on to something that's new and better for everybody on the planet? So take a moment, would you? Just take a moment just to pause. Pick out one question. Of those questions, which one can you grab onto and maybe spend some time this week just really inviting the Holy Spirit to make sure you give the answer that's genuine from within you. Holy Spirit, what, what is really going on inside of me concerning this? Cut through all the facades that I have. We all have them. And get down to what, how, am I, how am I really answering this question? Holy Spirit, I thank you for the season of Pentecost. And I thank you that it's, a, it's just a reminder that you come. And so we just invite you to come. Come into our community. We ask that you come and bring refreshment. We ask you to come and bring empowerment. And then this morning, I, I ask you to come and bring truth. Help us to see clearly the direction that we're going whether we're moving forward as the kingdom arrives or whether we're being pushed backward to some age that's never really existed. Open our eyes. Help us to pick out a question and just spend some time with you and be honest with ourselves and with you and maybe one other person. Finally, thank you so much, Jesus that you are willing to come, that you are willing to expose our rebellion and that you are willing to deal with it and move us beyond that into a new heaven, a new earth based upon your resurrection. Fill us with your life. Fill us with newness and send us out to represent what you are doing in our world that is new and fresh and better for everybody in your name. Amen. So thank you. Thanks for giving me a little bit extra time. Uh, please kind of hug one another, send each other out. You know, pray a prayer for Molly as she goes. Grab your kids. And uh, thank you for our time together.